Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. Uh, Some of us in here love a good story, man. Here's the thing. As humans, we were created to be storytelling creatures. We love stories. We get lost in stories. We get ourselves wrapped up in stories. We can identify with characters and stories. And I think God created us that way because I think so often stories, they give substance and they give form to life. You know, like stories help us be understood. Your stories help us connect and relate with one another on a deeper level. level. In some ways, man, stories they give us the way to communicate in a sense where we understand one another. I love this quote. It says, sometimes reality is too complex. Stories give it form. Anybody ever feel that? Like, like, man, reality is messy. It's complex. I, I don't feel like I can communicate who I am right now. I don't feel like I can communicate how I feel. But when I read this book or when I watch this show, I, I relate with that person. It almost gives me words that I don't know how exactly how to say, but I relate with that individual, and that gives the reality that I'm in meaning. Like if I tell you guys just a fact about myself. We've talked about this before, but a fact about me is I love basketball. I love basketball, and if I tell you guys, you're like, oh, that's awesome, Ryan, like good for you. But if I tell you the story of why I love basketball, about how I grew up shooting hoops in the driveway with my dad almost every night after dinner, how he would take me to Dallas Mavericks games multiple times every couple weeks. And, and like some of my best memories growing up are at those basketball games with my dad. How when we are together and he's telling me this story about how he played college basketball against Dennis Rodman that I wish y'all knew who that was, but Dennis Rodman. And, and like we, we connect over these stories. He's helping me improve my jump shot. When I tell you the story of why basketball means so much to me, it helps you understand me a little bit more. That's just one example. Like stories help us communicate. They help us connect. They help us bring reality to life. So why do I say that? I say that because I believe that the beloved disciple, that the disciple, the apostle John, would agree with that statement. Because you see, when he's writing his gospel, John isn't as concerned about writing all of the perfect historical facts and figures of Jesus, his works and his words, John is concerned about writing stories about Jesus and stories about people that encountered Jesus. I love how John Mark Comer puts it. He says, scripture is first and foremost a story, and it's a story about God and how we as people relate to God. Scripture, this word, this Bible, it's a a massive story about our creator. It's a story about God. It's a story about how he created us in his image to connect with him. That is what we're reading when we read the Bible. And so last week, if you weren't here, uh, we started a 16-week, yes, it's a long time, a 16-week series going through the Gospel of John. It is worth way more than 16 weeks, but we're going to do our best to go through this and, and talk about Jesus and, and understand Jesus by the stories that John wrote down. So last week, if you weren't here, we, we gave an introduction about who John is, who he was, and we wrote, talked a little bit about the first 18 verses of John 1. It's this prologue. It's an introduction, if you will, to a letter, and John is explaining who Jesus is to him. 
Not only just who Jesus is to him, but the fact that he believes in this Jesus and this Jesus changed his life forever. Now he wants you and he wants me and he wants everybody who reads this to also allow their life to be changed by this Jesus that John came to know and to love and to believe and stake his entire life in. That is what we're reading in the Gospel of John. It's John's story, it's John's narrative of the person of Jesus. And he's inviting us 2,000 years later to read and understand and get to know this Jesus for ourselves as well. So that's what we began with last week. And this week we're gonna be in the back half of John 1, starting in verse 19, going through the end of chapter one. There's so, so much, so I'm gonna have to skim through certain parts. I hope you read before you came in so that you have a little bit of context of where we're going tonight. But I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna dive in. We're gonna dive in. God, thank you for tonight, Father. Thank you that we can meet tonight. Father, that the weather went away and, and you gave us a beautiful evening to come together to worship you, to, to sit under your word. Father, we ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, God, would make these words come to life in our heart. God, there's no magical word I can say to make people believe your words. So Holy Spirit, would you draw us in? God, clear any distractions from this moment. God, may we, we're here to learn about you. God, we're here to, to encounter you, Jesus, and so would you speak to us tonight through your word? And all God's people said, amen, amen. John 1, jumping in to verse 19, 19 to 21, says this. I'm reading from the ESV, um, so if you don't have that version, it's all good. John, 9, John 1, 19 to 21 says this. It says, and this is the testimony of John. Real quick. This is John the Baptist. This isn't John the author, all right? Confusing, but this is the testimony of John the Baptist when Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. John the Baptist, the beginning of John's testimony, he starts, it's almost as if at this moment, John the author, the disciple, kind of like scooched the seat aside, and now John the Baptist kind of stepped up to the seat, and he gave him the pen and said, hey, buddy, write your story of Jesus. So we can almost read some of this section as if John the Baptist himself was writing this. This is his encounter. This is his version of his story of when he met Jesus. But before we get to when he met Jesus, we have to have a little background to what John was doing. So John... When he says here, the Jews, the Jews came to ask him what he was doing. John, we're gonna read in a little bit, he was baptizing people, he was speaking of repentance, of forgiveness of sins, and the Jews, these religious leaders, come to him and say, who are you and what are you doing? Who gave you authority to do th these things? And so when John writes the Jews, it actually, this, this word appears 71 times in this gospel. So this is a big theme in the Gospel of John, and when he says the Jews, it actually has a negative connotation. These are the religious leaders who are hostile, who are opposed to Jesus. When he says Jews here, this isn't necessarily a, a positive thing. These are the people who wanted to stop Jesus because they thought they were having a different Messiah. More to that later. So John here, he has three times where he denies who they thought he was. They said, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? All three times, John says, nope, 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 not who I am. And this is significant because all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is pointing to a Messiah. 
The whole story of the Old Testament is God's people who, who have these ups and downs roller coasters of being obedient and then not, and this back and forth, and, and they had these sacrifices for their sins and all these things, and it just was a constant over and over and over again of the people failing, and they wanted more, and God over and over again prophesied there will be a Messiah. There will be a Savior that comes that once and for all will forgive you of your sins. It's going to be a different type of Messiah, and so in this moment, when they ask him, are you the Christ? That's another word for Messiah, and this has almost a, a political idea to it. Because you see, they didn't realize, the Jews didn't realize that they needed a spiritual Messiah. They thought they needed a political, a physical Messiah that would come and free them from the oppression that they were feeling. At this point, when John is in ministry, Israel, the Jews, had been under Roman oppression for over 300 years. 300 years. And that's not even going back to when they were enslaved in Egypt. Like These people know what it's like to be oppressed. And so they had this feeling that the Messiah that was going to come was going to be a savior politically. He was going to ride in on a horse. He was going to have an army behind him. And he was going to wipe out the Romans, and they were going to have take their rightful place as Israel. They were feeling they wanted physical blessing, a political blessing, and that's the connotation. And, and John says, I'm not that guy. You're going to be disappointed because Jesus is not that guy either. That's getting ahead. Are you Elijah? I can't get into all this, but there's going to be some, some verses on the screen I want you to jot down and go back and read the significance of him saying, are you Elijah? And Malachi, there's a prophecy about Elijah. It's the last two verses of the whole Old Testament. So they were looking for this Elijah, but John was not him. And then the prophet, again, in Deuteronomy, there's, there's, a, there's a passage about the coming prophet that would speak the very words of God. He'd be a mouthpiece for God. And so these three examples, they're asking him, the Jews are asking him, are you this person? And John says, I'm not him. So jumping to verse 22, says, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So here, John the Baptist finally tells them who he is. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I am a voice. I am the voice in the wilderness crying out. Make straight a way. Prepare your hearts for the coming of God into the world. You're like during the American Revolution, Paul Revere ran through the streets saying, the British are coming, the British are coming. John the Baptist is coming, running through Israel saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, prepare your hearts. But here's the thing, when Jesus comes, you don't have to run and hide and be scared and take shelter like Paul Revere was saying, but he said, hey, I want you to draw close when Jesus comes. This is a different type of Savior. This is someone, God in flesh, as you read earlier in John, God puts on flesh and meets us, moves into our world. This is what John is saying. Jesus is coming. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts for the coming Messiah. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, saying the Jews. The Jews had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, and John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. 
These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is really important. The Jews were so frustrated with why John the Baptist thought he had the authority to baptize. Because Jews knew about ceremonial cleansing, about ceremonial washing, but to be baptized meant you were a Gentile converting to be a Jew. And so here, when when John is baptizing Jews, they're like, what are you doing? (laughs) These people don't need to be baptized, and and John's saying, I baptize with water. I baptize, my baptism is just symbolic. It's a preparatory baptism. This doesn't change their heart. This isn't spiritual, but the one that comes after me, his baptism will be different. The one that comes after me, his baptism will be with the Holy Spirit, a changed heart. Me, I'm just, I'm preparing them. It's a baptism of repentance. And then when he says, there's one among you, you do not know. Again, he's talking to the Jews, and he's saying, Jesus is coming, but you don't know him. The God that you know a lot about intellectually, (laughs) the God that you teach about in the synagogues, the God that you talk about in the temple, you know a lot about him, but you don't know him. There's a huge difference, and here John is saying, you need to be baptized, and again, they're thinking, I, I, I'm already a Jew. I don't need to be baptized. This, he's not talking about a racial, but a spiritual baptism. And what John is saying when he says, you do not know, he's saying, hey, I don't care that you're a religious leader. I don't care that you're a Pharisee. You are spiritually dead. You are alienated from God. And that is why at the beginning of the gospel, we see why the Pharisees were so opposed to Jesus and his followers in the beginning because they were constantly pushing against the Pharisees and saying, like, you guys are spiritually dead, but Jesus comes to bring you life. He comes to bring you life. And here's the reality for us here today, 2021, whatever year it is, guys, you can be in church your whole life. You can serve You can lead worship. You can have an opportunity to be on a stage with a mic at some point, and you can still be alienated from God. Being in church has nothing to do with your your rightness with God. You can still be spiritually dead even if you've been in church your whole life. That's what John the Baptist was telling these religious leaders, the pastors, the ones that, that everyone looked to for guidance and encouragement, John's saying, y'all don't get it. That has implications still for us today. You can be in church your whole life and still not know Jesus. Moving on to his, his idea of the sandal. He says, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. This is really cool because later on in the Gospel of John, we'll get to it. Who knows, weeks from now, Jesus tells, tells the crowd, John the Baptist is the greatest human to ever live. He's like, that's my boy. Like, there's not another human I love or respect or admire more than John the Baptist. Jesus is saying this. this like, he's saying John the Baptist is the dude. And here John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy of a slave's role to Jesus. Only slaves could untie the sandals of their master. And John the Baptist, a prophet, a man of God, says, I'm not even worthy to be a slave to Jesus. A sandal of who I'm unworthy to tie. I love this because John here, John the Baptist, the greatest human to ever live, is showing us a model of how we live our life. He's saying, hey, in 2021, I don't care how big of a church you lead, 
I don't care how big of a following you have, how many books you've written, how many people you have impacted, you must always deny yourself in order to exalt Jesus. That's the implication of this passage. No matter who you are or what you've done, you must always deny yourself to exalt Jesus. Because Jesus alone is one worthy of all of our praise. Now let's wrap up. John the Baptist story here, 29 to 34, says this. <clears throat> the next day, he saw Jesus, I mean, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. He said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Then John says, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the chosen one of God. So here, I don't know if you caught it, but three times John affirms Jesus' identity, which I just love because he just three times denied his own identity. No, I'm not any of those guys, and now John three times affirms the identity of Jesus. First off, that he is the Lamb of God. And the weight that this would have carried the first century Jews, that they had to sacrifice a lamb at the Exodus to protect themselves from, from the plague that God sent in Egypt. The, 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 sim, the symbolism of the lamb to the first century Jews would have carried so much weight that when John would have said this, that their minds would have been blown. The sacrifice for the sins of the world, not just Israel for the world. The blood of Jesus was strong enough, not just for his own people at the time, but it's strong enough for you and me here today. The blood of the lamb. And then he calls, and then he talks about Jesus' baptism, which is beautiful because he says that the Spirit of God descended and remained on him. See, in the Old Testament, where there was a king or a prophet or a priest, the Spirit of God would be on them, but he would only be there for the time of the service of that particular individual. And so when, when the Spirit of God remains on Jesus, that's something that they had never seen before. That's something they didn't have any context for, that the Spirit of God would not leave the person of Jesus, saying that he is fully God, fully human. And lastly, he's the chosen one of God. You can find a verse, Isaiah 42, 1, that says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Here's what's really awesome about this particular passage. In the Old Testament, in order to um, affirm something. In order to say something is 100% legitimate, you needed three witnesses. You needed three witnesses to confirm anything in the Old Testament. And right here, Jesus' baptism, when his identity is being made known to the world, he's going public for the first time saying, I am the Messiah. Three people are present. You got God the Father, whose voice comes out of heaven. You got the Spirit of God, the dove, and you have John the Baptist. You have three people confirming that this guy is the Messiah. He is who he says he is. We can affirm it. But there's another thing about this passage that I find really interesting. He says, 
that I myself did not know him. Did not know him. That's the same thing that he said about the Jews earlier. He said, one will come that you do not know. So John's saying the same thing about himself. He says, I did not know him, but the one who sent me helped me see him. What that means for us today is that we need revelation from God. That humans on our own cannot intellectually grasp, who cannot understand God. God must reveal himself to us. It is his grace that opens our eyes to see him. It is his grace that opens our eyes to feel conviction of sin, to ask for forgiveness, to repent, and to be made right with him. That's his grace that initiates that. We, must, we need a revelation from God. And so that is the first story. Like I said, we're going to learn from stories of different men that encountered Jesus here. This is the first story of John the Baptist. And if you have one takeaway, if you have one takeaway from all those different things that I just said, it's a lot. I just want you to know that in this story, Jesus' identity is being affirmed through his interaction with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to links here to show that Jesus is who he says he is, and not only that, he changed my life forever. Like, yes, I came. God sent me as a prophet to baptize. God sent me to have a ministry. But this guy, once I interacted with him, once I believed in him, he changed my life forever. And here we are 2,000 years later getting to read about his encounter with Jesus, it's incredible, it's incredible. All right, so that's John the Baptist, all right? Y'all still with me? Yes, all right, so we're gonna jump on to the next set of people that interact with Jesus, and there's some things here that, man, if we grasp a hold of these things, they will stick with us forever. John 1, 35 through 39 says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw, and when he was staying, where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. <clears throat> there are three things that happen here. I believe John, so we're back, John the Baptist, hey, he gave the pen back to John, now we're back to John the disciple, the beloved disciple. He's writing this now from his own firsthand experience, and there are three things in this that I think John is showing, hey, this is the map for how to follow Jesus, how to follow Jesus. The first one is when Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? So these followers of John the Baptist, John says, hey, don't follow me anymore. I, I, I've taken you as far as I can. Follow that guy. That guy's the one that's the Messiah. That's the one that you wanna follow. So they leave John the Baptist. They're now following Jesus, and Jesus asked them straight up, I love this, what are you seeking? That question gets to the core of their desires, of their identity, of who they thought Jesus was. And I think Jesus tonight is asking us the same question. Friend, what are you seeking? You're here at the table on a Tuesday night. It's finals week, finals are going on, life is crazy, yet you're here. And I just wanna ask you tonight, what are you seeking? You know, at the time, I think Jesus asked this because 
He wanted to say, hey, if you're seeking me for perks, if you're seeking me for physical blessing, if you're seeking me for, to, to help me overthrow Rome, I'm not your guy. So tonight, are you here, are you seeking just to be a better person? Are you seeking just more church attendance? What are you seeking? Quick fix to life's problems? Or are you genuinely here because you're seeking the presence and the person of God? And even if you're not here for the right things tonight, that's okay. I don't even know if they fully knew what they were seeking at the time, but Jesus, through this encounter, he was saying, what are you seeking? And I think the same question is for us tonight. And I just want you to actually like ask yourself that. Deep in the core of your identity, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And after that, the disciples said, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And I love this because this is Andrew and John, the person who's writing this. Andrew and John, these are the people that are following him saying, where are you staying? Jesus, I want to get to know you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. Will you teach me your ways? Can I sit with you? Can I be in your presence? And Jesus takes them and he says, come and see. I love this because if they were seeking the perks, if they were seeking the, the blessings that come with following Jesus, Jesus is saying, come and find out. Come and find out and see if I have something better for you. See, the, the spiritual healing that I have for you, that I am the Messiah, not just to take away you from Rome imprisonment, but I'm here to take away the sin in your life that no matter if that is gone from you, no matter where you are, you can find freedom in life and in purpose. Jesus is saying, come and find out who I am. But I love that you have to come before you can see. You have to come in faith before God enlightens you to see all that he has for you to see. Before the Bible really makes sense, you have to see spiritually. And you have to come in faith to God and say, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But I'm coming to you in faith and God will enlighten the scriptures to you. He'll show you the story of the Bible. He'll show you the story that you're living in. It's a bigger story, and he wants to reveal it to you, but you first have to come in faith. In order to, to rightly understand yourself, to rightly understand God, people, the Bible, you have to come and see, and God wants that for you. And then it says in 39 that they came and that they saw and that they stayed. Isn't this like discipleship? Isn't this what it means to follow Jesus, that you come, you experience him, you come to the table, you come to church, you experience him, you encounter him, you see, and then you decide to stay. You decide to stay and walk with him. But it's not just staying, it's saying, God, change me. God, change my desires. And the thing about Jesus that I love so much is that the more we get to know him, the more beautiful and incredible he is. Like, I wish that was true about me. Like, I wish the more you got to know me, the more you liked me. But let's be honest. The more you get to know me, the more you realize how messed up I am. Like, I was scared to get married to Morgan. It's like, man, she's going to see everything. And I'm like, I'm insecure about some things that I am. The thing about Jesus, the more you get to know him, the more perfect he is. <laughs> He's a perfect friend. He's a perfect Savior, when you come and you see and you stay, you get to experience all the life that Jesus has for you. As we read in, in, in um, chapter one, that he is the life that brings light to the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. 
All right, so let's, let's read this last chunk here. 43 to 51 says this. says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, man, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see so much greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the last story of these, these interactions, these encounters, these testimonies, these stories of these men who encountered Jesus. And what I want to point out about this story is that Christ finds you. You see, for Nathaniel, Christ came and found Nathaniel. And, and, and when he encountered, when Nathaniel encountered Jesus, when he saw him skin to skin, when he realized who he was, that Jesus was the Son of God, everything about Nathaniel's life changed. Nathaniel reoriented every single aspect of his life once he encountered the person of Jesus. Friend, if you're in here tonight and you have encountered the person of Jesus, your life should be totally oriented around him, about loving him, of knowing him, of seeking him, of serving him, of finding people that also know him to make you want him more. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is the story that John is telling us here through this scripture. The story of Christianity is that Jesus knows you and he wants you to shape your life around knowing him. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.